If you're able to listen and receive and not judge, then very often people on their own will come to their own epiphanies and realizations and shift closer to the middle or right. closer to you. But if you are in a conversation, the first thing you're doing is jamming your opinion down their throat, then you've created a hard, solid yeah. wall. Yeah. And that person, at least to you, will never want to change. That was Angela Smith-Jones, Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Health and Hospital Corporation, talking about how diversity, equity, and inclusion plays a major role in our city's economic development and our ability to retain and recruit top talent. And this is IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. So good morning, Angela. I'd like to welcome you to the 12th episode and hence the first year anniversary of the Freedom Forum. Who would have thought we'd be here a year later? Thank you so much for joining me on this special episode. However, before we get started with our conversation, I'd like you to please tell our listeners a bit about you, your educational and professional background, and any other factors that you feel like led to you becoming the former Deputy Mayor of Economic Development for the City of Indianapolis, and now the Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion at Health and Hospital Corporation. Tell us about yourself. I will. And thank you, Angela. It's so great to be here with you on your one year anniversary of the Freedom Forum. So um, thank you for having me. So a little bit about myself. Okay, so I am a native of Indianapolis, Indiana. In fact, I grew up approximately one block off of Butler University's campus. Okay. So I am just For me, Butler University was always my play space, right? Um, So I'm native of Indy. I went to Chattard High School Mm. for any of the Trojans out there in the community listening to this podcast. I attended Miami of Ohio University and um, subsequently came back to Indy and worked for a while at the House of Representatives for the General Assembly for the Indiana House of Representatives General Assembly. And I'm putting a pin in it because that will play forward into becoming deputy mayor. After working there for a couple of years, I was fortunate enough to attend law school, and I went to DePaul with the L for all of us Hoosiers, not the W. (laughs) DePaul University College of Law in Chicago. And I actually stayed and lived and worked in Chicago for several years. So I lived there almost eight years after uh, leaving the uh, Indiana Journal Assembly. Returned back to Indiana and worked with the state of Indiana for a while in admin law and legislative policy. Then I actually went to work at the Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce, which again plays very nicely into the deputy mayor role. And after working with the Chamber of Commerce for several years, I was picked by our mayor, uh, Joe Hogsett, to be his first deputy mayor of economic development. And the reason why I put a couple of pins in it is that not only do you have to be professionally ready to take a role such as deputy mayor, but you also have to be known and trusted by the mayor. And so Mayor Joe Hawk said, I've actually known him a majority of my life. Mm. My dad worked for U.S. Senator Birch Bayh and his son Evan Bayh and Mayor Joe Hawk said are great friends. So I actually grew up in spaces with 
I call him Joe, with right. Joe Hawkshead all the time as a kiddo. And wow. he knows me and my family as well as my experience working at the Indy Chamber and working in policy, working in economic development and all those realms was the perfect opportunity that when he was looking for a deputy mayor, um, enough people whispered my name and he had an opportunity to say, yeah, he calls me Angie. Yeah, he was I like, that girl. right, I want Angie to come and work with me. I know her. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the story. One of the reasons I love this podcast is because I always uh, or have had the pleasure of bringing on a lot of people that I know personally. But every single time one of y'all sits in this chair, I learn something new. I didn't know. Certainly, I knew you were from Indy. Had no idea that you knew Mayor Joe Hogsett as a child. That's awesome. Or your complete path to getting to your role. So you mentioned your role in economic development for Indianapolis. And so relying on all your experiences in that role as deputy mayor, having a very unique lens into the business drivers of the city and, of course, of the state, please explain to our listeners a bit about how you saw that DNI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, plays a role in a significant role in the economic development opportunities that our city has the opportunity to get, especially when we know we're competing with other sister cities like Nashville that's right now just blowing up and Chicago and Cincinnati and some others. What did you see? So for me, what I learned very quickly is that when I walked into economic development spaces, I was usually the only one. Sure, sure. Um, not only most of the time the only woman, but all but one project. I was the only person of color. Yeah. And absolutely the only woman of color. Now, I did have certain projects where there were other women who were in the financial realm that were on the team. But the first thing I noticed is like, where is everybody? Right. And so honestly, it was great that I have this legal training and this law degree because it created a space of immediate respect and camaraderie in the room because people are like, okay, well, she's a lawyer, so we can't play games with her. Right. But literally, I've said to myself, as each meeting occurred, I'm like, how do we create opportunities in space for people who are gender diverse, ethnically diverse, sure. socioeconomically diverse to get into these spaces? And so what I did, I made a commitment that I would, one, take an intern every opportunity that we had interns. And then two, the internship team knew if there is a candidate that is diverse, we are going to push them towards Deputy Mayor Angela Smith-Jones. Yeah. And when I looked back, I had interns of every ethnic, every gender, every sexual orientation as one of my interns. Sure. And I'm very proud of that. And I would just bring them into spaces and say, listen and learn and absorb. And you belong in this space as much as I do, sure. as much as the person who can write a $7.5 million check. Sure out of their account and it clears. Yeah. And I said, so a lot of it was recognizing that many people were missing from the space yeah. and looking for opportunities to bring others into the space that have been historically excluded. So, so how does that 
help build the city on a broader scale when we're competing right when companies or or talented individuals are looking to determine where do i make my investment right where do i make my next move is it going to be indianapolis or could it possibly be cincinnati or chicago right how does diversity play a role in retaining and recruiting top talent and top industries right that will come to indianapolis and allow our Hoosiers to continue to make economic gains. So you're also getting diversity of thought when you do that. So that means that people who live or visit our city from a different background are able to see unique and different opportunities of investment. So they'll see parcels of land that somebody else wouldn't find a value, but they can say, here's a great opportunity for economic investment. And we saw that. Sure. The other thing is when you see the actual finished product, if you have diverse persons with different mindsets and different creativity, like an architect or an engineer, they will bring different design, which again is another attractant to talent from around the world. Around the world, the architecture is gorgeous, but I mean, we've seen it everywhere we go in certain cities and certain pockets. You're like, every building looks the same, every apartment, every condo. But when you bring diverse developers, architects, engineers, et cetera, you get a different product. And the more others around the world see that there is an opportunity and a space for them to play in that economic development realm, then they are drawn to that space because instead of feeling excluded from the beginning, they say to themselves, there's an opportunity for me to one, invest my dollars, two, invest my talent, or come and live and help grow it and change it in a way that is more reflective of wherever I grew up in the world. Sure. Angela, you're aware that I have a STEM background, but you, again, in your role as as the former deputy mayor of economic development, you had a vantage point of the diversity in the city and the organizations and industries in the city that may not be STEM related, right? You get a much broader swath of exemplary organizations, right, that I may not be privy to. And I know that you've always been um, particularly involved, not just on the STEM side, but also in the arts and culture of the city, right? And we see a huge growth right now of the arts and culture of the city um, really growing and thriving with some of the organizations and some of the people that you and I know well, really making impact in a way that kind of I've been focusing in the last 10 years on STEM, they're now focusing in the arts and culture. How do you feel diversity in arts and culture also play a role in, again, retracting and recruiting and retaining top talent to our city? Oh my gosh, I love this question. So often people focus on just traditional business paths as the only opportunity for growth and expansion. But people, we are so... um, complex, right? There's so much to us. We're not just one lane people. And so when you have a really rich arts and culture component, you again, people think differently. So artists are very often also STEM people, right? right? So someone who's a fantastic musician is also your designer at a tech company. And so What's amazing is when you have a rich opportunity for people to be intense in their work lane, but also an opportunity to express and be their whole selves, that's a more, a greater opportunity for them to say, okay, one, 
there's some place for me to go to enjoy art, music, dance, whatever that is. Food, that's a great, food culture here is great. And then there's also an opportunity to express themselves if they are a performer or an artist of any type. The amazing thing about Indianapolis is we have always had a great, rich culture. When you look at um, different opportunities for clothing design, mural painting, music, etc., that culture has been here for quite some time, but no one really paid homage to it or right. recognized it. But when you look at other great thriving cities where people are like, we want to be like that city, what do they have strong yeah. is arts and culture where people can be their whole selves yeah. whenever they choose. And that right there is definitely an attraction for talent. And when they come here, even if it's for an opportunity to experience one of those cultural experiences, then they see everything we have to offer. And they're like, wow, I actually want to stay in Indianapolis. I didn't know it was that rich of a place for me. Yeah, that's right. In my experience, the arts and the culture and the community are is really what allows a person who relocates translocates from another city another state to hear and you're absolutely right says wow i can really make a home here i came for this reason but i didn't know the city offered all these different things at least for me that was my experience 20 years later i'm still here and it was because A lot of it for me was the arts and the culture. At the time I came to Indianapolis, Tyler Perry was having live plays at the Murat. I came from little country, Kentucky. I'd never seen Tyler Perry in a live play. Like that was huge. There was such a thriving, African-American middle-class community where, you know, black professionals were really doing things and had a place to go outside of just a Friday night hole in the wall. You know what I'm saying? And that was awesome. Like it was really a community. And so I, I appreciate you talking about that because I think, and oftentimes, like you mentioned, in the grind of the major industries, we forget, yeah, you can recruit talent here. But if you don't have a community that really allows them to find their authentic self and the stuff that feeds their soul, they will not stay. They won't. Yeah. So one more question about your former life and then we'll move on to your current life. You've talked about your your, um, opportunities in city government. And you also talked about being one of few or one of the only Mm -hmm. in that space. What unique contributions do you think that you added in that role because you were allowed to bring your authentic self, someone believed in you and knew you, and therefore gave you kind of the platform to really accentuate the differences that you could see and allow that to really permeate through the decision-making, the policy-making? How do you think that you were able to uniquely influence that role. Oh, I love that. So, okay, some of the focus areas when I started were on the tech space, the smaller companies and companies owned by women, and also our diverse youth, whether they were K through 12 or college level, but having an opportunity to speak to them very directly. And so many times after I presented to women or young ethnic um, students, they would run to me and say, oh my gosh, now I see that I can be like you when I grow up. Sure. And so just being able to give a 
an eighth grader or sixth grader young ethnic woman or young ethnic a child that hope and aspiration. So now maybe they'll stay in school longer. Maybe they'll go to law school. That was one opportunity. Sure. The other is in dealing with the CEOs and work. And when I've dealt with CEOs, it was every size company, right? From a small sole proprietor up to the largest companies, which shall remain nameless, but no secret as to who they are sure, in our sure. community. But working with all of those CEOs, and to your point, bringing my authentic self, because that's the only way I know how to be. That's right. I don't know how to not be Angela right. Smith-Jones, right? right. Um, gave them an opportunity, too, to see, okay, you can have diversity in leadership. This woman is bringing her A-game. I can relate to her in many ways, and in ways where I'm learning she is willing to help teach me. Right. And so those relationships to me for CEOs helped open their eyes because sadly, many people are kind of like in a in a zone where they don't get the opportunity, the privilege to meet a lot of different diverse members of our community. Sure. So even if I was the first or one of few, many opportunities, they were able to see and say, okay, I can I can open up my horizons, right? I can broaden my horizons and meet more and more people in this space. Right. So I think that opportunity with the CEOs, with the students, and then to your point with policy. So having a lens and an eye to say, okay, sometimes, and we were taught also these policies, some people think economic development is only about money or only about buildings, but it's also about talent. Right. And so how do we create policies that are so much more inclusive? Sometimes you think of a policy and your intent is right, right. but if you don't have somebody else there with the lens to say, yeah, but in practicality, right. that's actually going to exclude or hurt these other persons in our space. Right. Then that's the role that you have to play in a role I was fortunate and able to play. So I feel like in those three lanes were an opportunity for people to see and say, okay, we get it and we can have more Angelus, you and I, sure, sure. in this space sure. and, uh, and we're all going to win. That's an opportunity for us. Yeah. So what I hear is... Even in the um, times where you're the only or one of few, it's still very important to show up for everybody in yes. the room, right? Yes. For the people who aren't in the room, you need to represent for them. Yes. For the little kids that don't even know the room exists, yes. you need to show up and let them know that's a reality. Yes. And for the people who are in the room, who are used to working with and dealing with particular people, you also need to show up to let them know, hey, you can still get excellence in a form that maybe you're not so familiar with or comfortable with, right. but it still shows up and we're gonna do what we need to do. Right. Absolutely. And I say that because, you know, we talk about, particularly in the diversity space, so many times where you're the one and the only or mm -hmm. one of few. And it is exhausting at times, but mm -hmm. you've got to show up. You can't get tired. Unfortunately, we're just not in a space where we can get tired because it's necessary to show up and be representative because you don't know whose life you changed that day, whether it is the CEO or the little kid that don't even know a CEO exists, That's right? right? That's right. So Angela, you, you've you now made a transition, right? Mm -hmm. you've, you've been the former deputy mayor and now I've had the opportunity to take all that experience and understanding and insight into a different role at Health and Hospital. Tell us about your role at Health and Hospital and what is so different with it in the health space um, as compared to 
public policy and public perception and dealing with the public generally. How has that transition been? Because I, I would expect that's pretty big transition. It is a very big transition. <laughs> it is. But I've been I've been enjoying every moment. And what drove me to it was an opportunity to take that lens of what I'd learned as deputy mayor going into rooms where I'm the only one and people are writing personal checks over seven figures, et cetera. And how do we translate that to a different corporate environment? Because sure. it's a quasi quasi-governmental agency. And so really what my focus is, is part culture and talent, which was also deputy mayor role, right? It's also supplier diversity, which is basically economic development. Absolutely. It's also working in the space of social determinants of health, which is really, it's not new, but just the focus and the lens on it is new since George Floyd's murder, right? Meaning nationally, not for our, not for our Eskenazi. And then There's also the component of corporate relationships and community relationships and how do we continue to build upon those that we have and strengthen them so people know, hey, we're here and we want to play towards equity in every space, not only healthcare, and we want to be a partner. And so that's really what my role is at Health and Hospital Corporation. And it's such a great privilege because what people don't necessarily realize is that they want to say that healthcare institution is like everything for the health outcomes. And we are a huge part, but the huge part also is where do you live? Absolutely. What's your education level? How do you eat? Do you exercise? Can you be in a safe space? What's your stress level like? So, so much of healthcare is so integrated into sure. the rest of our lives. Yes, yeah, so the social aspects, yes. right? They're not exclusive. Yeah. Correct, yeah. correct. Yeah. And so that's been like super exciting to really learn and continue to integrate all of those lanes that I said earlier yeah. and to see how at the end it plays out that, thank goodness, Health and Hospital Corp is really in the space to say, yeah, we want to make sure that people know that we're focused on the best of all in our community, yeah. not only the healthcare, but everything else. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, healthcare <laughs> has strangely become an extremely hot topic with COVID. Mm-hmm. And now with the Roe v. Wade decision, things have gotten extremely complex, right? And people are extremely sensitive and it's, it's serious. So how does that play into your role now? Having to, and I know it's brand new, so, but just that lens of healthcare as compared to economic development, because things, you know, people may be okay if a building doesn't come or a company, people are not okay if they can't go see their doctor or they can't get proper vaccinations or, you know, uh, testing or screening, et cetera. How does that play or put a different spin on what you're doing now as compared to what you were doing previously? So the most amazing thing about that is tomorrow, our Indiana General Assembly, they go back into a legislative session to evaluate and address the Roe v. Wade decision from the Supreme Court and how we are going to have it going forward in the state of Indiana. We do have certain restrictions now in access to abortion um, and certain requirements, but now with this new decision, what are they going to do over these next couple of weeks to impact us, which will impact health care? Sure. One critical thing that you indicated is that we have to be respectful of other people's positions. This is a very personal and emotional topic. And so uh, keeping my lens of DEI, um, Chair, you know, you have to say, I feel X way, 
but you are allowed to feel that way. Sure. You cannot impose your own personal opinions on someone else. But in that space of healthcare, we stand on excellent health care for all, access and receiving excellent health care for all. And for all, it means no matter your zip code, right. no matter your ethnicity, no matter your language, no matter your wealth or not, we are going to provide excellent health care to you. And so as you had indicated, socioeconomic plays a huge role, huge role. in the, Ro the Roe v. Wade decision because if you are not of means, where can or do you go for excellent health care once these final decisions come down from our legislature? Sure. And the other part that many people forget is if you are of means, you're probably still going to have access to an abortion somewhere, some way that people won't even know it occurred. Right. And so you just have to be so mindful of the science and the medicine behind it. I'd heard an ob gyne speaking the other day, obstetrician-gynecologist, saying that some of the way the laws are written in other states completely disregard medical science. Yeah. And so when you take that into account, doctors are the experts on sometimes when you do and don't and when it's safe and not safe for right. a mother or a child or what have you. But people are not consulting obstetricians and gynecologists on it. Right. And so it's a really tough push-pull here. Right. And we have to walk that narrow line of respecting people's physicians, honoring the experts of obstetricians and gynecologists, and then, of course, following the law, what sure. will our state legislature determine? So I don't know the answer to where we're going to be, yeah. but um, stay tuned as our Indiana General Assembly goes back into legislative session and they give us the guidance that they determine. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you, you mentioned earlier um, that you're an Indianapolis native, and I, I think you're one of few that I've had on the show. So I want to ask you a particular question around the history of the city, right? As I stay here more, and particularly as I talk to other folks, I learn so much about the history of the city, particularly from the diversity, equity, and inclusion lens around Indiana Avenue and learning some of the history around that. The Madam Walker Theater just had a huge celebration. And, and I am intrigued by the fact that, you know, Indianapolis has such a deep, rich, diverse culture that is inherent to the city, but you don't hear about that all the time. And, you know, I know there's a major move right now to kind of revitalize that and make that a part of the, you know, the narrative of the, the common narrative of the city. So as you've been deputy mayor, what did you learn about the history of this city that you didn't necessarily know or surprised you or shocked you or just was like, wow, I've been living here my whole life and I didn't know that, that you think our listeners would be interested in? So what's interesting is the culture is rich. And when I was a kiddo, and I also want to talk about how like even more rich it's become. So when I was a kiddo, I hardly remember growing up with ethnic groups outside of being black or white. Yeah, That's how Indianapolis started. Now, I was fortunate enough to go to a school where there were diverse students, but it was super rare. Yeah. Whereas now it's very prevalent that you see a lot of different ethnic groups sure, in sure, school. Sure, But when I was deputy mayor, one thing that I believe is a great opportunity for all mayors and mayors have done historically is take the opportunity to invite 
leaders from the diverse community to come in and just talk because then you learn everybody doesn't know everything like you said i i know i don't know everything but my dad and my mom tell me stories all the time about sure. growing up black in in central indiana in downtown indianapolis but not everyone has that privilege sure. so i think one great thing and mayors historically have done that. But just in the role of mayor is to continue to listen to your leaders in your diverse community. And I mean grassroots to come and tell stories about this is when my family came to Indianapolis right. 100 years ago. This is where we lived right. and giving opportunity to learn about the pockets because there were pockets everywhere. And when things cut the pockets, like the highway system, right, mm -hmm. and the impact that had on our different communities. And I think one of the gaps as to why some people don't know is because some people are afraid to hear the whole truth, but that's how we are where we are today. Right. So there's nothing wrong with the truth as long as you can educate yourself. You take the opportunity to say, oh, well, we won't make that mistake again right, right. because otherwise you will, yeah, right? Absolutely. What's insanity doing the same thing over again and expecting something different? Right. And then how can we make and this new opportunity better and enriching, who do we need to include right. in this space to make sure we don't do unintended harms yeah. to members of our community in our city? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Angela, as you spoke with so many representatives of organizations and, you know, companies, CEOs, as you mentioned, of our city, uh, and even the broader, you know, statewide community, what did you find are some of the best advances the city has made on, on the DNI front, just collectively as a whole? And what are some things that we're just still struggling with that we just haven't kind of gotten over the hump yet? My thoughts are one of our greatest successes is the way we shifted um, the unemployed. It's called Employee India's agency. But to really, originally it was just created if you were unemployed, you would go there get counseling, you could get unemployment insurance, et cetera. But we shifted under Mayor Joe to like, wait, how do we really look at where the most devastatingly impacted members of our community, where do they live? Right. And what resources are they really missing? How can we actually lean in there? And I'm telling you, just that, just being able to focus on who's got the highest unemployment rate, yeah. the lowest educational attainment rate, right. the right. highest crime rate, the lowest home value rate. So when you start intersecting, and also when you look at social determinants of health, sure. you start intersecting all of that, there are a few zip codes in our city. And so the great thing is we started really focusing on, okay, let's identify the kiddos anywhere from 16 to 24. I'm saying kiddos, even though you're not a kiddo. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. And then what are, their, what are their needs? Like what are their current talents? and their skill set. How do we match those up with companies and open companies' minds? So talking with CEOs and their expansion teams, like we actually have incumbent talent here and we can help train them up to right. take these jobs. Right. It might be an entry-level job, but that's the whole point. Let's get them a job or in the educational system so that we can grow them to a profession and a career. And you have no idea, again, what that person's great talent or skill set is because we've been ignoring them over the years. Sure. So for me, 
being able to intersect the the traditional just regular unemployment arm and connecting that with economic development was a huge victory for us. One area where I feel like we focused on, and I do feel like we made gains, but I still feel like there's kind of a gap would be in housing. Mm. So we did a lot of work on workforce housing, right? And I think we did make some great strides. But as I look across the landscape, and I really start to look at what creates multi-generational wealth, and I learn more over the years, right? From being deputy mayor till last week, literally, how do we get more of our historically marginalized and disenfranchised members of our community into home ownership? Mm, mm -hmm. So what tools do we have? And when I say home ownership, I mean permanent home ownership. So people will talk about land banks, but that's a long story. Is that really permanent home ownership? That when you die, your child actually can inherit the home? And so I do think we did excellent work with the City County Council in addressing workforce housing, which is renting. But for me, one of my passions yeah. is how do we lean more into home ownership? Right. Because that's 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 what actually shifts yeah. and starts generational wealth, right? Yeah. Most Americans, the greatest wealth they have is their home, right? And if you never have an opportunity to do that or get that or start that in any family, you are automatically behind. Uh-huh. Yeah. For generations. For generations, because to your point, that wealth gets passed on and, and hopefully increase, right? So so I appreciate that lens and that um, note. So I want to ask you just generally, we, we talk a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I want you to give us some insights about the need. You mentioned earlier, you know, you may not always get it right, but you're steadily trying to improve and get better, learn, most importantly. How important or necessary is humility and the willingness to listen and learn in order to truly effectuate DEI policies and programs that advance real goals? They're not just talk and, you know, just a sorry attempt to do something, but truly thought through programs that can really be implemented to change lives, like so many of the programs I attended, and I'm sure you attended as well. What has to happen in order for people to, you know, bring that authentic self, even if that's the authenticity of, look, I don't know. I don't know the right thing to say. I don't know how you do whatever it is you do. You know, like, I don't know. How how important is humility? Oh, my goodness. I think humility is really the number one thing. And I always call it like having a heart right. to learn and to listen right. is what humility is in another way, right? So, and I feel like humility plays both in the role of the chief DEI officer, the team members within that company or corporation, and the leadership. Sure. Because if you walk into a space, no matter who you are and what role you play, believing that you know it all, you've already lost. Right. I don't care what the battle is, whether it's economic development, diversity, equity, and inclusion, increasing your profits, your right. profitability. No one knows all of everything. It's impossible. And if they come across like that, beware. So the most important aspect, no matter who in that tripod, right, is coming with a heart of empathy and listening. 
and caring. So from the team members, they have to know and trust that their leadership and their chief DEI officer really cares for them. But the only way they'll know that is by the chief DEI officer right. and the leadership listening. Right. The DEI officer has to listen to the leadership to see what's important, the path and the direction the company wants to take, and has to listen to the team members to understand what's important because the path may need to shift based upon the workforce. You want a culture and an environment where people want to come and stay. It's, again, talent attraction, right. not just to your city, but to your company. And the CEO, they have to have a heart to listen because they may have chosen path A, but really, all of their team members really wants to go on path D. Mm -hmm. And so how there may be a path in the middle. Not everybody's right, right? Path D is not 100% right, nor is path A. Right. But if you're listening and you have a solutions-minded right approach, everything that's great is always a compromise. Right. So legislation, DEI, it's, there is a place in the middle where you can honor your team members and the path and still honor whatever that original path was towards profitability or what have sure. you. And so that is why humility is so important. And what I have learned over the years is that if you're able to listen and receive and not judge, then very often people on their own will come to their own epiphanies and realizations and shift closer to the middle or right. closer to you. But if you are in a conversation, the first thing you're doing is jamming your opinion down their throat, then you've created a hard, solid yeah. wall. Yeah. And that person, at least to you, will never want to change. Yeah. And so that's why if you listen with humility, you're like, okay, I respect that. I understand and share some of yourself. Then that is how you develop a relationship and then that relationship will develop the bridge towards compromise where actually everybody wins. Yeah. I struggle to understand why it's such a strange concept that in business you negotiate, in law you negotiate, everything's a negotiation, but yet DNI seems to be so oftentimes all or nothing, right? People aren't willing to kind of give up some ground to, okay, this may not be the perfect policy, but it's a lot better than what we have now. Let's start here, see how that works, and then we can tweak and change and pivot from there. But again, insanity, doing the same thing right. certainly is not going to get us to a different result, right? Amen. Amen. So as we close, Angela, I want to, as I, I always do, try to allow you to provide us and our listeners a few tools, tips, resources, um, advice, counsel, whatever you have, suggestions on how our Indiana leaders can continue to make progress, impact, in make it a more inclusive environment, not just for their workforce, but you also mentioned supplier diversity. We just talked to Holly Harrington last episode about supplier diversity and the need to kind of elevate your DEI initiatives. Once you've gotten workforce diversity down, supplier diversity is certainly another place that you can focus if, if that's important to your business and it should be for all businesses. So just give us a few nuggets of wisdom from your vantage point on what our city leaders can continue to do, start doing, stop doing, to continue to move diversity and equity inclusion of our city forward such that we continue to thrive, we continue to recruit top talent and retain our homegrown talent, right? Yeah. What do we need to do? I would say one of the most important things is an opportunity for leadership 
to hire diverse talent. And one way to get there is to insist that there be a diverse panel of candidates presented. If you get a panel that's all Angelus <laughs> that are black lawyers and women, that's not a diverse panel. Right. We need diversity in this panel that of candidates that we're interviewing. You also need a diverse panel of interviewees. Not one person should have the opportunity to veto a candidate all right. by themselves. That's too much power. Right. Um, so you always need to have a panel of interviewees, interviewers, pardon me, who have the opportunity to discuss the right. Angelas that are being interviewed for that position, right? And so that will start to change the face of leadership, and that will also lend itself towards greater attraction because then people who are diverse will be able to say, oh, I can be an SVP at the IBJ or whatever. Right. And so then people will come or they will stay instead of leaving. That's a, one critical um, thing that can happen. The other for me is giving your team members, especially your middle management team members, mm -hmm. tools to empower them to be able to lead a diverse team. And you're going to have to have training. And it's not necessarily the training that people have been having, but how do you train your leaders to manage diverse candidates right. and respect diversity in their candidates, right? Right. And that, I think, is very important that a lot of people may not notice the value of that. And I kind of feel like those two opportunities are huge that will really start to change real retention in companies sure. uh, along the way. And I agree with you and Holly that culture is so important because you can't have a revolving door of a workforce, right? You want, a, you want to establish a culture right. in your company where people will stay. And then kind of like leaning into the supplier diversity, one thing that whomever it is that is in the corporate development lane, right, the expansion of a company is, I used to say this all the time as deputy mayor, Black, Hispanic, Latinx, African-American, Asian-Americans, we do everything that your cousin does. So you, so for example, when you are starting your project, there are diversely owned companies that are architects and engineers. Sure. There are diversely owned companies or historically disenfranchised members of our community who do law, who do accounting, who do insurance work. And so what I always encourage people then is from the very beginning, stop and look at your list, and do you have some diversity on your list when you are preparing an economic development project right. and not waiting until the very end, and now you see that the city expects you to hit the utilization goals, and then you're scrambling. But from the very beginning, call somebody and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing an economic development project. Do you know anyone who's historically been disenfranchised or marginalized that owns an architectural company right. or what have you. And so I think that opening your mind and being humble, realizing I don't know everything, but I probably know somebody who knows that, right. that's how you are able to shift that game 
and actually have more supplier diversity when you are doing a project. And then going back to culture, have a more inclusive and diverse community within your own company, your corporation, no matter how small or large you are. Yeah. I think it's important. It's so enriching when you can walk into a space and everybody is like, I feel welcome here. Right. I belong here. Like, I I'm okay in this space. I can be my authentic self all day, every day. And then your work product is that much better too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. There is true economic benefits yeah. on the back end of diversity, Absolutely. right? It takes a lot of investment on the front end, but yeah. there's economic benefit on the back end. And that, you know, if you're in business, that's ultimately your goal. Well, Angela, we appreciate you stopping by the studio today, allowing us to dig a little deeper into the economic development vantage point of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and why it's so important for our city's growth going forward. We're all in a position to try to make sure that Indianapolis continues to not only strive and thrive, but really be a premier city, right, in, in the future. And it's going to take all of us working together to really make that happen. So thank you for giving us your vantage point on all of this. Thank you for joining the Freedom Forum, and we'll see you next time. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you again to Angela Smith-Jones, and thanks to you for joining us on this 12th episode, our first anniversary of IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. Please come back next month for another conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the Central Indiana business community. Thank you.